Hello and welcome to the special edition of the Bang to Rights podcast. My name is Pete Murray. I'm a lecturer in multimedia journalism here at Manchester Metropolitan University. Now, as regular listeners may remember, I promised in our last episode that we'd come back if there was any big news over the summer that we thought deserved a thorough go through here on the podcast. And four years almost to the day since the youngest person in Britain to be found guilty of a terrorism offence appeared at Manchester Crown Court. The High Court in London has granted that man, who's recently turned 18, lifelong anonymity. He's known to the outside world only as RXG. So to discuss his case and its impact, I'm joined by a friend of the podcast, Carol Watson, who's a senior lecturer in media law at the University of Sunderland. Hello, Carol. Welcome to Bang to Rights. Hi, Bruce. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's really good to have you on. So this week's judgment is something we'd actually been waiting for for some time. In fact, it was you who first alerted me to the fact that it was being discussed at all following an addition of Bang to Rights back in the spring when we were looking at the challenge to the lifelong anonymity order on identifying one of the James Bulger killers, John Venables. This case is kind of different in key respects, though, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's it's a really interesting ruling. Um, for one, I think it's one of the few cases where it hasn't involved an actual murder or yeah. physical harm to another human being because um, the plot that our XG had sort of plotted never came to fruition, thanks mm. to the police. Um, but there were lots of different arguments made by his counsel as to why he should get anonymity Uh, not just that there may be a violent um, reprisal against himself and his family, which was the case in the Bulger Killers, Mm -hmm. um, the Edlington Brothers, etc., but also issues of Article 8 and his right to privacy, particularly over his health, uh, because he is um, a a man with autism and he has been undergoing rehabilitation for his extreme views. And I think what the court ruled was that it would seriously affect his ability to rehabilitate and his treatment over his health if his um, identity was exposed in the media. So look, we'll we'll come on to some of those things in a bit more detail, but let's just have a look at some of the specifics that are in the judgment. I mean, it's nearly 40 pages long, so I'm not going to go through every single detail, but just some of the main points. So First off, if you look at the the background to the case as they have it in the judgment, July 23rd of July 2015, Crown Court sitting in Manchester, the claimant RXG pleaded guilty to two offences of inciting terrorism overseas contrary to Section 59 of the Terrorism Act. The particulars of these offences were that on two occasions in March 2015, he'd incited another person to commit acts of terrorism to murder police officers during attack on the Anzac Parade in Melbourne. Anzac Day in, in Australia is kind of like Remembrance Sunday, effectively, here. Um, the Australian Federal Police were alerted to the plot. They made several arrests. No attacks were carried out, as you mentioned, Carol. So um, he was found guilty. He was 14 years old at the time, and that's that made him the youngest person ever convicted um, of a terrorism offence in the UK. Apart from his age at the time, the only thing that we know about him is that he was he's from, from Blackburns. That's that's correct, really, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's the only sort of detail we were allowed to publish at the time. Obviously he was a juvenile. Yeah, so um, the, the, the court the trial. Would, Yeah, so the, the case was heard in open court, but because he was a juvenile, there were all the usual sort of reporting restrictions around around the case. So we weren't able nobody was able to identify him by name or to give any anything that might identify relatives, friends, what, whatever. So so now the case came back to the High Court and it's been in discussion in the court for some time. And the kinds of things that they were looking at were the risk of retribution. So whether people might attack him 
while he's in secure uh, accommodation at the moment or while he's undergoing treatment um, uh, within the adult prison population now that he's 18 rather than being held in a juvenile offenders institution of one kind and another. There was another question that was addressed by the court. He has, he has younger sisters uh, and the school, according to the judgment, the school's already anxious regarding the situation and there's a strong likelihood that the naming of their older brother would lead to the sisters being made to, made to move school again, which suggests that they've already had to move school in order to avoid the negative attention of the family and the school. Then one of the other key issues that they dealt with was the progress in his in his treatment. Uh, as you mentioned, he he has autism, um, and the the um, the evidence in support of of maintaining the anonymity said that that would be uh, potentially under threat. The progress of his treatment would be under threat. There was also a question about his his future mental health. Hostile reporting or simply being identified as, quote, a terrorist will inevitably cause RxG distress and will evoke feelings of shame and humiliation. This is from his... um, forensic psychologist who gave evidence to the case. It's probable that this will have a profound impact on his psychological well-being and could lead to mental health problems. One of the other um, things that was mentioned by Louise Bauer, Bauer's the forensic uh, psychologist who gave evidence, was that at the time of the offence he had all these problems and that uh, his identification now might re- lead him to revert to that sort of mental health position and therefore there was a, uh, a danger to his mental mental health from that respect. Um, and she also said that he had essentially shed that identity that he had back in 2015 and he's basically just a different person. So the, the other thing um, that the, the judgment goes into in a lot of detail is what they call the Venables jurisdiction. And that's what you mentioned earlier on, Carol. So that's the, the, the lifelong anonymity um, that's been uh, given to the two Bulger killers, to, to Maxine Carr, who was the boyfriend of uh, Ian Huntley, the Soham killer, and then the, the two other cases, that you, the Soham uh, murderer, uh, and then the two other cases that you mentioned of, of the two boys. Um, so where does this kind of leave us then? If it wasn't a threat to his uh, physical well-being and just a threat to his mental welfare, what's, what sort of precedent do you think this says? Um, it's difficult to say because it's what's tied in with the precedent about his mental health, I think, isn't just that he's had treatment and seems to be functioning better as a result of that for the autism. But what the ruling seems to also imply is that any threat to his mental health could also force him to be re-radicalised yeah. um, with the views he had and the sympathy he had Um, for the Islamic State at the time. And there was a lot said in the ruling about that and how he could become almost like a hero or a figurehead for ISIS and like a poster boy. And that by us revealing his identity and maybe a photograph of him, that we would be helping ISIS to do that. Now, that means that it could set an interesting precedent in the case of younger terrorists in the future having the ability to make that argument that they have changed their views, they've matured, they've um, had support and guidance over that, but there would always be hanging over them that it would be the media's fault if they suddenly um, became radicalised again. Yeah, I mean, I think the... the the judgment's very careful to be to to talk about the specific circumstances here that 
if someone, let's say a 15 or 16-year-old, is found guilty in the future of a terrorism offence and then those normal juvenile restrictions apply and then that person turns 18, they would have to show that there were similar kind of mental welfare issues around there because the, 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 the judgment specifically rules out the fact that there was a death threat or that the, 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 there are a lot of tweets, a lot of t uh, stuff on Twitter threatens, threatens him, doesn't it? So they would have to have quite specific circumstances because the tweets are, some of them, pretty gruesome, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there are threats to murder him, to feed him to pigs, all sorts of things that if you are a regular user of Twitter, you do see people tweeting all the time and... Um, but the court ruled that they weren't satisfied that they were a real immediate risk uh, yeah. to, I mean, to yeah. this defendant. Some of them are um, pretty horrible. There's, there's one, I guess, that, that we can sort of repeat, a trip to the scaffold and an unmarked grave. That gives them plenty of anonymity. Yes, absolutely. But to be honest, this is no different from people screaming at a police van coming out of a Crown Court or or going into a prison. It's just that people choose to do it in their bedrooms on Twitter these days. And there is no absolute evidence or proof that anyone is actually plotting uh, any harm or violence to him at the moment, which is why I guess the court decided they weren't satisfied that that was one of the grounds to award this lifelong anonymity and that it was um, more about his health, which really ties into what you, I'm sure, teach your students, what I teach my students about Article 8 privacy and health, be it, you know, an illness or be it mental health or a pregnancy, whatever, mm -hmm. is always seriously considered by the court um, when they're thinking about privacy rights for people, whether they're defendants or celebrities in the media, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they, they do refer in the judgment to a number of those cases um, as, as precedent for this. So, I mean, overall, you think the, the court has ruled correctly on this? You'd think the, do, you, do you think we, we as journalists shouldn't be too concerned about uh, another lifelong anonymity order being, being imposed? I'm, I'm not unduly concerned about this one. Overall, as a, a journalist and a media law lecturer, I prefer to challenges and the media fighting for their rights and open justice. Um, and there are reasons to fight it. But in this case, because of the health issues and some of the quite unique aspects to the case, I think we are still able to investigate his background. We're still able to write stories about what led to this. We're still able to keep an eye on what's happening with him. And I'm, I was quite relieved that the court said that, you know, that it should be understood that this can be reviewed at a later date. So if there is a change in circumstances, um, yeah. we are able to look into that and we're able to report it. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Dame Victoria Sharp says right at the end, um, we will invite submissions on the terms of this order, but it should be clearly understood that the reporting restrictions remain subject to review in the event of a material change of circumstance. And hopefully that relies on journalists being able to find out if there are any material yeah. changes in circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my big problem with any anonymity order um, in these cases is, again, the problem of social media, because then we have social media false speculation, sometimes naming people who aren't RXG, mm -hmm. speculating who they are, which can lead to perfectly innocent people being targeted that happened in liverpool a young 
man ended up taking his own life when he was falsely accused and targeted as being one of the Bolter yes. killers. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Or, on the other hand, people are speculating on social media and getting it right. And I'm sure within the next couple of years, somebody will, will name this man, maybe even put a photograph of him out as and when he's released. And that will then have longer implications, cost to the taxpayer of new identities, etc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, the order itself. I'll, I'll put a picture of the the order onto uh, onto the Twitter feed and onto SoundCloud. Um, the order does specify it includes social media reporting on it as well as the traditional publishers and broadcasters um, who can't provide any details. But but again, there, there may be a bit of a problem, of course, about the courts policing that and calling anybody to account who does perhaps uh, potentially name RXG on on social media. Um, but there have been some prosecutions that we're, we're aware of already, haven't there? Yes, I mean, I mean, two people I think earlier this year received suspended prison sentences because they posted uh, pictures of John Venables, Venables. online. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem then is, yes, those people are dealt with and punished for what they've done, but the damage is done. Yeah. By then, that's another half million pounds, I think, it costs the taxpayer to to give Venables a new identity, whisk them away to a new home, etc., uh, based on what those people uh, have posted online. Yeah. So, I mean, as you say, the, the, there is quite a strong possibility that in the, in the next few years, the, um, the media organisations may well want to challenge this. And they, I would guess if circumstances, if, you know, if, the, if his psychological uh, mental health does change, then there might well be a chance, given what... Uh, you know, given the, the concluding paragraph there from Dame Victoria Sharp, there might well be a chance that it would be easier to revoke an anonymity order on this person than, for example, on Venables, because that's very, very tight. Yes, absolutely. I think the fact that there is uh, no evidence that this person is at physical risk of harm, um, that could be a possibility if the media find out something significant about, I don't know, his behaviour online, if he's spotted in a pub boasting about ISIS or something like that, something strongly in the public interest uh, where he should be um, identified again, then there would be a chance to go back and challenge that order. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, look, should we leave it at that? We'll just wait and see. If if, if you've got a view on that uh, that's repeatable, please um, do let us know on, on Twitter at, at RightsBang. And if you've got any, any views on on the judgment or its impact on journalism specifically, please please do let us know, get in touch. But before we go, I just want to move on to a couple of things that, that, we, that have been in the news over the last few weeks we thought it'd be worthwhile having a look at. The first of them is the conviction and imprisonment of the, the far-right anti-Islam activist Stephen Yaxley-Lennon, who calls himself Tommy Robinson. Um, that's It's that case, actually, that, that first brought the two of us together, um, Carol, yeah. isn't it? That's absolutely right. We met when you were doing a podcast with one of my former students, yeah, Steph Finnegan. Steph Finnegan, yeah. And she was the... So let's go back over the background to this because the, the reason that Tommy Robinson was jailed um, this summer dates back to Stephanie's reporting of of the case, of, of his original conviction for um, contempt of court in, in Leeds, yeah? Yes, actually, more than that, Steph was the person who actually reported Yaxley Lennon to the police, she'd spotted him outside. That's right. Um, sort of recording a Facebook Live video um, about the case, and she 
you know, as a properly trained reporter, knew there were reporting restrictions on the case. There was actually a, a postponement order that you couldn't report the case at the time. So she had gone and reported um, Yaxley Lennon to the police and said, you better have a look at what he's doing. So she's responsible for for all that happened ever since, really, in a way. What do you make of the, the T-shirt that he was wearing when he went into the Old Bailey on the day that he was sentenced, convicted of journalism? <laughs> Well, there was there was quite a good article, I think, on the Pope where people had put other things on the um, yeah. <laughs> T-shirt. What I particularly liked was a picture of him sort of being led away in handcuffs in that T-shirt and somebody photoshopped in a copy of McNay's Essential <laughs> Law for Journalists under his arm because really he needs to read it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, think- other, the other one I saw was uh, some wag had said he's, he thinks he, he, he says he's a journalist, um, but he doesn't even know what his real name is. <laughs> that is true. I think the problem is he. I think he probably genuinely does think he's a journalist. I think a lot of people think they're journalists simply because they publish things, whether they tweet or they go on Facebook Live. He's had, I understand, some media law training, not from you or me. I hasten to add, mm-hmm. um, but patently doesn't understand the basics of the Contempt of Court Act, which he managed quite admirably to break in three different ways with that with that video yeah i mean i guess what we, we will probably return to this but one of the interesting things really is whether he will come out of prison you know a, a changed uh, person in any way whether he's going to try and repeat all of this because uh, um or whether he will just think well it's probably not worth my trouble any longer to be to be doing this sort of thing um, I'm happy to have a bet with you on that piece. I think you'll, I <laughs> yeah. think you'll happily become a journalist. And I'm doing quote marks at the, in my head here yeah. Uh, yeah. when he's out again because yeah. he has an agenda. His followers have an agenda, and he genuinely believes the mainstream media, as we're called, um, are biased, and that we're deliberately ignoring things rather than the fact that we are properly trained in media law. And we know there's certain things we can't write or say uh, due to, you know, prejudice. Well, that has been one from certainly from my point of view as a teacher as well as a journalist. But as a a journalism teacher, that's been one of the the benefits of this case that we've been able to highlight the fact that, you know, there are reasons why people call themselves journalists and why they why they carry an NUJ card into the courts and all the rest of it, because they recognize the procedures and understand the, the limitations that they have to work to. Absolutely. And we, we had Steph Finnegan come back to campus um, last semester to talk to our students about this and the importance of really understanding how court reporting works and the various laws and ethical codes we have to worry about all at the same time while reporting does mean we are professionals and knowing what we're doing. And if there are certain things we're not saying or we're not writing about, it's not because we're biased or editing them out. It's for legal reasons. Yeah, yeah. Stephanie's a great credit to to the, the to the trade because you know she resisted all those threats that, that came to her, and she, you know, she she stood up before the judge and and uh, challenged the the orders that he'd made and so on, as well as uh, reporting the case initially to the police. So um, all credit to her for for doing that. Uh, she's just won an award, I think, for Young Journalist of the Year. So it was well, well deserved. deserved. Well deserved. Now, so um, just before we do close, there, there's also been a change in the law covering a rather different area of anonymity. It has to do this time with, with upskirting. Tell us, tell us what's happened in this case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, upskirting is something that's been a criminal offence in Scotland for about nine or ten years mm-hmm. now. But for all sorts of legal problems, it never was in England and Wales. So upskirting is when someone 
secretly uses a phone or a camera to take a sort of sexually intrusive photo of, in beneath someone's clothes, basically. Um, celebrities have complained about it, etc. Over the last couple of years, an activist called Gina Martin's been campaigning for it to be made illegal in England and Wales, and now it is a crime um, under the Foyerism Act and punishable by up to two years jail. What's interesting about it for media law students is the fact it's now a criminal offence means that victims of upskirting have the same right to lifelong automatic anonymity as victims of other sexual offences, yep. such as rape, um, uh, with the same scope, the no name, no address, no workplace, etc. Um, so students will need to know that if they do come across any upskirting cases, whether someone's just been charged with it or someone's in court, the victim does have that right to anonymity unless she decides to waive that anonymity and she's over 16 years of age, so... Certainly something to look out for, um, and it's certainly a case. It's certainly an example of of something that would. Uh, I'll certainly be mentioning it during uh, during lectures in the in the coming term and, and thereafter. So, um, well, look, thanks very much, Carol. It's been great to have you on the podcast at last, at last, and not just at a short interview clip, which was which was the case before. It's been really good fun. Thank you very much for keeping my brain working in the summer. <laughs> uh, so before we go, remember, you can subscribe to Bang to Rights, as usual, as ever, on Apple Podcasts. And you'll also find us on Stitcher. You can search for Bang to Rights on the MMU Northern Quota SoundCloud feed. And that's all one word, MMU Northern Quota. So we've been Bang to Rights, me and Carol. We'll definitely be back in September for season three with the usual crew. And we'll also be back before then if there are any other issues or stories which come up who knows there might well be something and as i said before do let us know on twitter at rights bang if there are topics or issues which you want to, us to cover in any of those future editions but in the meantime thanks for listening we'll see you soon